Welcome back, my beloved family. Lance Curve here of LanceCurve.com. I welcome you all here to freestyle from the heart, from the hip, the conversations that we have every day, twice a day, sometimes three times a day. Life rules, so sometimes things pop up and I'm not able to do as much. But if I'm free, we're going to be on it. Now, I know back in America, we have this holiday called Thanksgiving. And many know my feelings about it. And pretty much one can guess what it might be. But any time that we can spend time with each other as a family, as a community, as friends, but understand that we don't have to wait for someone to tell us that this is a holiday, especially when we shouldn't be celebrating. We should be getting together for the love of each other, regardless as to what the external dictates are. Today's episode is thrown into the game without knowing the rules. I woke up not too long ago. I was up doing a show last night, and I promised that when I wake up, I'll get right back on it. And so I have really been working on the quality of sleep that I have every day because I realized that over my life, I've worked mostly jobs at night into the evening, late at night. I was always up at night, and it wasn't always like that for me. I had two incidents back in 1980, August 17th and August 18th, that I took as life-threatening. I was 17 years old. The first one, I was laying in my bed, and my bed and my bedroom was in the front of the house, the way that the old houses were constructed back then in Queens, New York the old wood frame houses. So what they would do with these wood frame houses is that they would have, or you would have an enclosed porch. Now, it wasn't a porch where I was outside, but these houses were built with porches, and it became the style that they would enclose them, so it became part of the internal, so it wasn't outside. Quite nice. The little room in the front of the house, but it had seven windows. <laughs> Eventually, we replaced them with a big slide and a big bow window. But there was that one little side window by the steps. Now, this is back in 1980. Crack hadn't hit yet. It was still a community and still a neighborhood that was wonderful. They had a few problems here and there with certain people. But other than that, it was pretty nice. I would go to sleep sometimes, oftentimes, with that window that was by the steps to the front door open. And it was never a problem. Friends of mine who worked late, my friend Angelo who worked at McDonald's at the time, he wouldn't go straight home. His family would get up and pray at 5 in the morning. If he gets off at 2.33 at the closing and taking a long walk home, he didn't want to get back up again. So he'd tap my window. I'd wake up. We'd hang out a little bit. And eventually when I took the basement, I had an extra cot. He'd come over and sleep over. And um, I was used to that. No danger. It was only the screen that was there. And there was a street light 
outside that would shine down in my face. Not bright, but it was just a light in the distance, and there were branches of trees moving around in front of it across the street, but the angle was just, like, perfect. So I'm sleeping deep, and I would sleep in what one would call the fetal position. Big as I was, I was always competing. I was also competing in bodybuilding competitions for like a year and a half already, 17 years old. Cock diesel, strong, (laughs) but still a gentle giant until pushed. So I'm sleeping, and I had these trophies, and I had posters in my room. And you could see them from outside. Even though that room was higher up and it wasn't ground level, you had to walk up three steps, and then the house, you had to walk up a few more steps. So we we could look down on the street. We had hedges around the front, so you can see the posters on the wall. You can see the trophies glistening. Well, I'm laying there, asleep, curled up under the covers. Not too much because it was summertime, but I didn't like to sleep exposed. Mosquitoes loved me. So I'm in a deep sleep. And all of a sudden, you know how sometimes when you're in a deep sleep, oftentimes, all the time, you're pretty much aware to a point of what's going on around you. And in this situation, there was something that was passing in front of me and eclipsing the street light outside. And I'll say this, I noticed it. Deep in my sleep, there was something not right. So I woke up, I held that same position, and then I realized that there was somebody standing over my bed, somebody standing over me. Now, because they were between me and the streetlight, they were silhouetted, so I couldn't see their features. I couldn't see exactly who they were, but I know it was a man. Now, in the street, I let things go. No problem. Cuss me out. Say whatever you want to say. Just don't put your hand on me. But when I'm home, and this is what has helped to make me so territorial, don't cross that property line and come over here with any bull. I didn't think that at that time. So when I realized that it was a man standing over me, I got very angry in a split second. Why was he standing over me? Well, I take it that this guy was a dope fiend who may have been passing through at the block party on the prior Saturday, because this was Sunday, going into Monday, and he saw the trophies and saw the posters and the colorful things going on in my front room. Sometimes I would leave the blinds open, sometimes at night, which you know is a no-no because people on the outside could see inside if it's brighter inside than it is outside. But everybody knew what I was into. Most of the people in the neighborhood knew that room. Sure, I had a TV in there, but it wasn't anything expensive. Bookshelf, little doodads. Well, I sprung up from that bed with anger that I even I never knew I had. How dare you lift that screen and crawl into my room 
and you must have taken your time. You must have pushed that screen up and saw that there was a bed there. Even if it was dark, that streetlight was shining inside. You knew that there was somebody in that room. I was curled up under the covers. So this individual did not know the size of me. But you knew it wasn't a baby. If you saw something of value in that room, how are you going to get it out of there? Because there was a door into the hallway, which was next to the front door. If there was something sizable, you couldn't get it through that window quick enough unless you were working along with somebody. And later on, we found out that, yes, that he was working alone. Because when I jumped up out of that bed, I was taller than him. You know, because I was standing there, I jumped up and then I jumped down on him. I didn't care how I landed. I wrapped my arms around him. His arms were pinned to his body. And I landed on the speaker that I had in the room. The speaker was about maybe two feet high. A big wooden box speaker. <laughs> See, back in those days, with audio, with speakers, the bigger the speaker, meant the better the speaker. Now, we know what the advancements of technology, especially with audio, doesn't mean that. Now many people have tiny speakers with a surround sound and a subwoofer and the effect of it, of the well-placed sound. And technology, the advancements in understanding sound, they don't have to have big speakers anymore, but it was a big thing to be in the room and the speaker was as big as a table. Yeah, man, I got these. Man, yes, I got some good speakers. Man, it was the, you never heard of it. Those are good speakers because they were big. Well, thank the creator that the, that speaker was pretty big. It was two feet, but it was enough to catch my weight as I landed with my arms around this guy. He had a weird odor on him. It wasn't a normal stench, like a friend of yours who play basketball all day and the sweat dries if they come over your house to hang out for a while and say, yo, man, you need to take a bath. But it's not a dirty thing, right? But it was odd. Later on, I understood that he was, we never found out who it was, but we had an idea. Well, I squeezed like a snake squeezing around his prey. I squeezed around his ribs. He was trying to get away. He was wiggling. He could not get away. I was very, very strong at 17 years old. Very strong. And I noticed that every time, well, I didn't notice. I knew because I was there. But every time he would breathe, trying to struggle, and he would exhale. When he would exhale and the air was out of his lungs, I'd pull him tighter. So I wouldn't allow him to be able to inhale. At the same time, from the time that I sprung up from the bed, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was embarrassed afterward because I never used profanity in front of my mother who later on got into that room. So I'm squeezing and squeezing and squeezing until he was almost about to pass out because I didn't have him in a chokehold. But I squeezed him so hard. I was trying to just, I don't know what I was, I, you, I jumped up out of my sleep, this spook. I'm not calling him a spook because he was a black man, but it was spookish because I didn't see his features. 
it was like a black shadow over me because the light was behind him, the street light. So once he was about to pass out, I'm still screaming at the top of my lungs. I got a big mouth, y'all. And it gets a little deeper the louder I get. Like one of those WWF voices. I'm telling you, I'm going to defeat you when I get inside the ring. When I get angry, just all my testosterone and everything manly comes out. And you violated me, and you're standing over my bed in one of the most, in the safest place. Because your bed is like your mother's womb. You feel safe there. You let go there. You let go of consciousness there. And, and you're supposed to be in a safe place. And yes, the screen was there, and that's all that protected me from the outside world. But I had a sense of community. I felt safe in the community. I felt safe at night. So as soon as I feel he was about to pass out, because I feel that I broke one of his ribs also. My mother stormed into my room. She didn't know the reason while I was screaming. I would oftentimes have dreams where I would sometimes scream out, but they were normal, especially a guy who's training and bodybuilding and doing all these physical things. So she was afraid. He saw what was going on. He was a little disoriented as to say, who is this guy? She didn't ask me that. But I was in my own frenzy. Now my mother's in the room with me. Now this stranger's in there. I don't know what he's in there to do. I'm not going to say, oh, he just came in there just to take something because he's a little dope fiend. He wasn't a little guy either. He was my same height, but he didn't have my weight. And he damn sure didn't have my strength. So she screams out, and all little secret, don't tell nobody. He used to call me Lancy. <laughs> she wasn't trying to make me a girl, but my father's name also was Lance. And whenever we were outside, my father might be working in the car, the truck, or doing some yard work, and she would say, Lance, we'd both come running. So to rectify that, I was younger from when they started that. After a while, I'm like, listen, stop that Lancey stuff. <laughs> I'm checking out girls. Now, don't call me Lancey with a Y on the end, Lance and a Y, Lancey, right? So she says, Lancey, Lancey, you're going to kill him. She knew because, see, she knew my temper. I had a bad temper. I had a murderous temper when I was younger. I was always quiet, but I was, if you take me off, I wasn't some bad boy. I wasn't some thug. I was a nerd, actually. Growing up, I was a nerd until I attained the modifications of this big suit of muscles that I got. But I'm still a nerd. But I've learned in this world that you just can't be that because people would try you. So she says, please, let, let him go. You're going to kill him. And it hit me. See, when a mother cries out that you're close to, it has a way of affecting you more than anybody else could ever affect you when you're close. And we were close. But how am I going to let this guy loose in the room and my mother's there? I don't know what he might do. It was almost like she read my thoughts. She stepped to the side of the bed furthest away. 
And I let him go, knowing that if you move toward the right, toward where my mother is, you're going to die. You got a free pass here. Because just like that pit bull that goes after the intruder, the only person that can stop that pit bull from getting around the neck and ending that person's life is the master, the owner, the one who feeds and takes care of that pit bull. So he went for the door, opened it, and now he's in the hallway. He has one more door to go. My father heard the noise, and he was one who would always come in late because doing his own business. He'd always want to finish a job at a certain time and never have to go back the next day. So he was half asleep. He thought it was me in the hallway. He grabbed the guy and said, Lancey, you're having a bad dream. You're having a nightmare. Calm down. Calm down. I'm still screaming. But he thinks that that guy is me. August 17th, 1980, y'all. The creator was having me in situations to have stories to tell in 2023. <laughs> he did something. So my father later on told me, and I figured it out. He said to himself, this joker thinks that I'm his son. Let me calm down and he'll let me go. Because it was still kind of dark. There were no bright lights on. Because if my father realized what was going on, it would have been worse than what I would have done to him. So I'm seeing this, and my mother's standing in front of me. Do not let me get at this guy, who's only a few feet away from me. I'll never forget this night. It still haunts me. So when he calmed down, I see him in the dark because my eyes are already adjusted. He turns the doorknob after my father lets him go. He pulls the door open, quick shifts to the side, and hurls himself outside. <laughs> he didn't want no part of what he knew would have happened. My father was very angry that he got away. I was too, but I understood I let him go because my mother didn't want me to kill him. And I didn't have that intention in my heart, but I was violated. I was frightened also. I'm not going to say I'm Superman and... I braved that situation because I'm such an alpha male, which I'm not an alpha male. If you categorize me, call me a sigma male. Google it. Anyway, my father looks at me, and he looks out the door, and he was like, who is that? Still half asleep. So we covered the lights on. Of course, we had to call the cops. It was a big thing. The neighbors across the street woke up because of my big mouth. And they saw the guy crawling up the street holding his side. He ran a little bit, not ran, but just tried to walk a little bit, and he held his side. I definitely did something to him. If I didn't crack his ribs, it was about to crack. He had some kind of pain in his side for me, like a vice, gripping him and pulling him like that so close. Ugh, nasty, because, you know, to think I had a stranger and a man up on me like that, and I'm pulling him close, it was like... <laughs> and the smell he had was definitely drugs coming out of his system. We never knew who it was, and that haunts me to this day. Why am I talking about this? Well, I'm talking about some of the trauma that I've been through. 
The other one was the story, and I'll make this one shorter because I've told it enough and many of the people here already heard it. So to try to get away from that situation in my mind, the next night I was, I was riding my bike with a friend named Elton who lived, what, one, two, three doors down. He was up and he heard, everybody heard about it. So I wanted to ride my bike. I was never scared to be out at night in Queens. That's why it was different at that time in 1980. It was just beautiful. I think, I think 81 and 80 were the, 1980 for me was the best days or the last of the best year coming up. I had many other good and best years for other reasons in Queens, New York, but I was older then and I was focusing on other things. But as a, as a young man who, 17 years old and, you know, you're about to cross over into that next age and stage of development. Those are some very good years. That ended it for me. So I'm riding my bike with my friend Elton. It's about one in the morning because I couldn't sleep. Car pulls up next to me, young lady in the middle, old Ford Falcon, a black one my father had one years before. Bench, seat, male driver, female in the middle, male on the side. The driver had a gun in his lap. The driver says, I'm riding, and they're next to me, parallel, driving next to me. I'm looking down. I'm seeing this. And the driver says, is that him? And the girl is crying. And she said, yes, <laughs> that's him. I had one of those visors on. I had the, I'm still over here stepping on stuff. Excuse me. <laughs> I had a visor. It's like a hat with no top, but it has the duckbill front, and it was something you could see through that was kind of like tinted so if the sun shines down in your eyes, it doesn't bother you. Well, I had that on at night. I don't know why I had it on. I think I had it on all day and just never took it off. And they thought I was somebody else that did something to that young lady, and I don't think it was something, anything good. They pulled up about six car lengths ahead of me and pulled over. This is on Hillside Avenue on Sutton Boulevard. A little off of Sutton Boulevard. I flipped the bike around really quick, told my friend Elton, go in a different direction from where I'm going. These guys are trying to kill me. He's standing there, what, what, what? I said, man, get out of here. Go, don't, don't worry about me. Go somewhere else on your bike. And I left him. I didn't leave him because I was, you know, but I'm not going to sit there and give him instructions for the next five minutes as to what's happening, what I saw. If I tell you something, follow it. Don't worry about me. I rode my bike toward the Hillside Avenue and Sutton Boulevard station. I saw the headlights getting larger and larger behind me, silhouetting me on the wall in front of me, right by the steps to go down into the subway. The front tire hits the curb. I fly off the bike. The car pulls up right next to the bike. The last thing I saw, I said, oh, my God, I hope it doesn't crush my bike. I don't know why I thought that. My life is at stake, and I'm sitting here worried about a daggone bike. <laughs> so I threw myself down the steps, I, 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 but my feet were touching every third step. Luckily, I just didn't fall and break my leg or skin up my leg. I ran downstairs. I hopped over the turnstile. I know there was something bad to do, but in this situation, I don't care. The woman behind the glass who gives out tokens, I can remember her screaming. Hey, hey. And when you do that in New York City, there's usually undercover cops that will run out and catch you. I was hoping that there were some cops around at that particular point. I didn't have the bad experience yet with the cops. 
No cops on Sunset Boulevard and Hillside Avenue that time of night. Jumped down on the platform, thinking they were going to come downstairs and shoot me. I jumped down on the tracks, stepped between the third rail that if I barely touched it, it would have killed me and electrocuted me on the spot. Stepped on rats. Couldn't react because I didn't want to react and touch the third rail, so I stepped over three tracks. There was one in the middle for an express train going through and two local tracks. Jumped up, went to the precinct on 168th Street. By the stop, walked down the 103rd precinct. 103, that's how they say it. And then my parents came up and we dealt with it. The same precinct when I was locked up after the 11 cops beat me years later. Actually, nine years later. In a short span of time. Same place, different experience. So I was never the same after that. I had to make sure that every door was locked, every window was secured. I had to walk outside and make sure there's nobody lurking around. My mind was messed up two nights in a row, something very traumatic. I had to deal with the cops two nights in a row also. The radio, the cop car outside, the lights flashing, which they cut off after a while. That first night when the guy came in the room, so now I'm spooked, I can't sleep. And so now it's very hard for me to sleep all those years. That's why I would take night jobs because I was always wide awake. I never wanted to have a job where I would get up five, six in the morning and work from eight to four, nine to five. No, I couldn't sleep. I wouldn't be able to maintain any job like that. So I would always do night things, you know, night positions. And when I drove the van as a commuter van out in Southside Queens for several years, seeing the underbelly of life. And these are the kind of things that made me wonder, what is it like on the other side? No, not the other side of life. Cherish my life. But I was always curious as to what made people do the things that they do and how they lived. Oh, to finish up that story, I don't want you to think I'm a creep. That block party that we had on Saturday, because this was Monday night now, there was a woman there very well-shaped woman. Oh, my God. She was dancing. She caught my eye and started backing up on me. So what's the guy to do? I was dancing with her, but she was uh, kind of affording me uh, the sensations of a gluteus maximus, which only lasted for five seconds. And she laughed and went off. That was the girl who was sitting in the car. But what I didn't know was that even though she was so well-built and the block party at night was kind of dark, she was pretty, well-shapely. I mean, she really was a good-looking woman. But she was developmentally delayed. I didn't know that. She lived two blocks away. I didn't know her. She had a reputation for being very promiscuous. She couldn't control herself when it came to sexuality because she had the mind of an eight-year-old, seven-year-old, but the body of a grown woman and the desires of a grown woman without the control. So any old person that came around her and tried to take advantage of her, or even if they didn't, she would want to do something with them. And I found out neighborhood drug dealers, anybody coming by, even the mailman would stay a little longer when he delivered mail when nobody was home there. So she was just like that. But they found out that 
that's all that happened. That she danced on me for a little while, like a lap dance, standing up. Or not even a lap dance, but you know what I'm trying to say. And when she said, yes, that's him, she remembered me from that night, not knowing that, you know, her mind is a little off. Unfortunately, she kept on doing the things that she was doing. It was not her fault because of her mind. But eventually they found her decomposed body on the side of the highway right there by the Liberty Avenue exit in Van Wyck Expressway. If you've ever come to New York City through JFK and you're heading toward Manhattan and you go on the Van Wyck Expressway, you're passing right by a decomposed body was found. And it was sad. And the family, her brothers who were looking to kill me after some friends of mine stepped in between and explained to them the situation, they came to me and apologized. Old school. It wasn't some, oh, you you tried to kill me. I'm going to get you back. No, no, no. Listen, we sh- we're shaking. I can understand how you felt because if you think someone raped your sister, because someone did that night. Somebody did that night. It's not her fault. She's not right in the head. But the body that she had, I wasn't lusting after her. Well, at first, I kind of saw her when she came up on me like that. But you put things into context. And you're like, oh, I can't do that. So I thought about the other guys would take advantage of her. She really could have been a model. She had the hips and everything. And um, back then in those days, modeling, you know, you had to be skinny. But, oh, my God. Rest in peace. Didn't even know her name. But the situation almost got me killed. So why am I saying this on a show that says thrown into the game without knowing the rules? We can find ourselves in certain situations whether it's our fault or not, where depending on how much we know, it can be a bad situation or something advantageous to us. And for me, I always give praise to my parents for raising me up in a manner where they always taught me the rules in the game of life. I didn't always listen, especially when it came to my restraint with the young ladies. Nothing disastrous came out of those pairings or groupings. But at least, for the most part, I knew to steer away from the drugs, the violence, and just anything wayward that would lead me into jail or prison. I just wasn't that guy. And for the most part, all of my friends that were in my inner circle, they were all good guys. Many who you see come into the chat room every now and then. You know the names. And in our conversations, we often thank not only our parents, but the whole community that we grew up in at that time. Because the world that I grew up in It wasn't just the parents. It was the neighbors. It was the shop owners who knew us, who knew our parents. It was a cohesive environment where we were all connected. And we would consult or they would consult with each other if they saw one of us stepping out of line a little bit. But they would consult with our parents 
after correcting us on the spot. You see, I'm seeing some long comments here. I'm going to, I'm going to read some of them. I'm going to continue on the flow. Raw reality said, if there's any comments that I missed, you know, when I flow, I'm not looking at the comment section. I just happen to sit down and look right here. But thank you all for coming in. Raw reality said she must have been repeatedly molested when she was a child, which messed her up into thinking that sex is the only way she can get attention, which is why she was so loose and flinging it to any man. Spot on. Spot on. Because while they realized the family I heard that she had an issue that way, they didn't know how bad it was. And because she was grown and can handle herself to a point as a person who's physically grown, her mind seven or eight years old, enough to have sense to go in the fridge and grab something to eat, whatever, know how to clean yourself when you go to the bathroom. She wasn't like a toddler or anything, but because she had the urge, the physical urges, and we're adults here, we understand what it is, she couldn't control that. And she had to be uh, interfered with at a younger age in order to know what to do because on the street, it was a big joke how insatiable she was. And I remember hearing about this person, but I didn't know it was her. I didn't even know her. I mean, that just wasn't along the route of where I would go. It was like on the other side of Liberty Avenue. And, you know, it was a kind of a boring block. And we knew people on that block, but I didn't hang on that block. And you see people in the street and you pass them by. You may greet them and keep going. But this is what it is, you know. Sunny Sunny Suni says, "Glad you were okay, but I wish you were able to restrain him." To the police came. He probably went on to terrorize the home. Yes, I wish that too. And the police officer said, "Hey man, how do you get to look like that at seventeen? You surely you could have held him." And I said, "Well, my mother was terrified of." What I might do to him, I have no reputation for that, but I do have, or had, possibly still have, <laughs> some anger issues, but it's only when all other means of communication are exhausted. Then I flip into something else, and I plead, let's talk this out, let's work this, you know, normally in situations, and you have these gung-ho guys who want to prove something, and you're trying to reason, and they take that as weakness, and okay. They have no other choice to take it to the next level. And I'd rather not. I don't like that. Because when I get angry, I can't, I can't sleep for like three days. I'm shaking. See, my anger is no joke. It's not a tough guy thing. It's just biochemically I'm just messed up. It's not some kind of imbalance. It's just that my, I'm very intense. You all know that amount of work that I put in. I'd rather be busy and do stuff on a cerebral level. And keep it going that way. Once I step off into that other thing, I don't like it. I can't eat. I can't sleep. So I'm not claiming it, but these situations have gave me undiagnosed PTSD. I know it. I don't talk about it a lot. This is why I like to stay to myself a lot and be around close people who I love or people who in principle I love. I can't be around pricks. I can't be around a-holes. I can't be around people that doing reasonable things or look to hurt people or look to 
They have their ego problems and they have their issues. We all have issues. And so let's get back on track. Thrown into the game without knowing the rules. Thrown into the game, what game? And why do I have a picture of the Joker? <laughs> I happen to like that version of the Joker. Right? Got his own movie aside from be, being around Batman. But that Joker there, I kind of understand him because he was misunderstood. He had things happen to him that were wrong. And it was never rectified. It was never something where he saw justice in these little small dysfunctional things in his life. And then when he became the monster, they wanted to call him a monster. And he's a very intelligent individual. Emotionally unstable, of course. I'm not saying I'm that. But you cross somebody as small and as clumsy and funny as he dressed, now you're going to feel the wrath. That's something I identify with. I'm not a victim, but people sometimes take your soft-spoken self and your kind words as something that, well, I can push him over. And I don't have a chip on my shoulder about that. I take a lot to keep the peace. But when we cross over to that other side, the adrenaline side, I'm not stopping. Whatever it is I'm going to do, I'm not stopping. Just like I don't stop doing these shows and doing what I do and whatever. I'd rather do this as a vent than, than live a certain way where things pile up. Therefore, you have to know yourself. You have to know what you're dealing with because we're all thrown into the game. Many of us are thrown into the game without knowing the rules. I can't say that that was my situation. I can't even say I was thrown into the game. I was introduced into life by my parents and those in the community who loved all of us to instruct us on how to navigate the shark-infested waters of life, knowing that life is good and as pretty as the ocean may look, it's infested with sharks. So, there's a video I saw this morning as I woke up, kind of popped up as I was checking my email on my phone, which I'm not one to get on my phone and thumb through people's profile pages and see on Facebook what they're doing, what they have, what they did. I don't have the time for that. And many people have chastised me. Didn't you see that we had a party and, and, and you didn't come to the party? Like back when I was in America, I said, I, I don't do that. I'm, I'm a content creator. I just, if it pops up, I see it. But for all the people who follow what I do, I can't go through all of these profiles and Facebook pages and Twitter pages, X now, you know, they call it X now, Instagram, multiple accounts and LinkedIn, and I got accounts on social media platforms that probably you never even heard of before. <laughs> Yo, these top four or five platforms that most of us use in America, you got stuff out in Russia, you got stuff out in India, you got stuff, you know, and you have English speaking things. And you'd be surprised. What is the one in China? On a whim, one day I got the count on the one in China, the Chinese Twitter. Didn't know what the heck they said, but I put up a post and it had comments that I couldn't read. <laughs> it was a piece of artwork I put up as universal. And it was just, I could see it, but I couldn't understand it. I don't understand that language. 
you know the stuff they talking in the back of the Chinese joint? Like, like not up front, but in the back. Hey, let me get a half of fried chicken and pork fried rice. Now, I don't eat the pork. I'm just saying it because people eat that, you know. We get a half of fried chicken and pork fried rice. Then they yell it back to the back of the place. And they know what they're saying. Who was that? <laughs> but I was blessed to not be thrown into the game. I was blessed that for the most part, I knew the rules. So I see this video. And the channel of the video is one I highly recommend. I don't recommend crap, you know, channels. I'm going to say it that way. Low vibrational stuff, no. It's a white man who owns this channel, and he does a phenomenal work. If you do good work, I don't care what race you are, I'm going to tell it. The name of the channel, if you don't know it, I've said it before here, is Soft White underbelly soft white underbelly and for the most part he travels all over the country but he's based basically in skid row and on skid row that's the bottom of the tank where all the sludge is and i'm not saying this because i think i'm better than these people i'm only saying this because it is what it is and he has a studio set up there. Now, this man, he definitely has money. He was a, a photographer in the industry, making lots of money. I think at some point just a video, videographer too, a combination of both. But he knows this stuff. But this work is his passion. He always wants to go and do what his passion was. I'd say 98% of us, if we're on a job, that is not our passion. We're just paying bills. But we have a passion that we fantasize about that if one day we can get unshackled from this job and this system, that I can wake up and pursue what it is that I'd love to do. And I find myself at that place now. But when you leap to a new phase, <laughs> sometimes the money ain't there. But you know that you made the best leap because you trust in your own work ethic. And so this man, he interviews many prostitutes, drug users, gang members, all kinds of bizarre situations where it's not to exploit them because I know for a fact that he helps them out with money with each interview. And when he has a situation that is a real tearjerker, he recruits the listeners to say, hey, let's put this together for this person because we can see that they're on the verge of making a breakthrough and breaking out of the life that they're in. And he's helped and change many lives. So I can't hit on anybody who does that. I've seen him on interviews, passionate about what he talks about, but what he does. He's even cried sometime. I'm like, whoa. And I have to admit, it's people of all ages and races. But I would say the majority, it could be 51%, 55%, black people, if not 60 or 65%. He doesn't discriminate. He's a very good interviewer, and he lets a person tell their life story, and they tell their life story about how they may have been molested or how they were insecure or, or, or had low self-esteem and it was exploited by a relationship and they were broken or, or whatever it is that made us who we are at this particular time. 
And I watch that channel, and I walk away always feeling thankful to that one, that creator, who put me on a path that I didn't have to follow now, but he gave me those to give me guidance to keep me on the path. Because as I realized and watched these shows, he put out one video this morning. As soon as I had the phone in my hand, it popped up. So I don't usually go off from what I'm doing when I'm checking my various email accounts. But when he pops on, I had to. And it was a premiered video that featured many of the people that were on his program that, for the most part, they're not doing good. But they wanted to vent out. They wanted to share their story. And it's so brutally honest. It's, it's, it's frightening to see that we can come so far in this life. And I know all of us in this chat room have gone through things, have gone through some very traumatic things, more or less. Sometimes we'll say, oh, it wasn't so bad, but we're tough as nails. And sometimes there might be something light, but because we may be in a weakened state, it was so traumatic. We can't measure pain evenly like that. What is a mosquito bite to you might be a cannonball shooting my head off to me. There's so many variables. But we're not going to argue about that. I just want to say how thankful I am and how tough this world could be. And even though we are blessed to be here to have the time to be in a chat room and indulge yourself in a discussion, rather a monologue, because I'm the only one talking, but I, I feel your energy. That we are blessed to have an internet connection which shows me some semblance of stability that we can pay for the internet and probably we're somewhere inside in our own place. Maybe not, but for the most part, I think we're pretty much all right, even though we all have pressing issues that we want to deal with. You see, because in this life, we're all dealt a different set of cards out of the deck of life. And sometimes that hand that we have in our hand from the deck of life could look so depressing. And it seems like, or it seems like it ensures failure. And many of us overcome. Some are given a good hand out of the deck of life, good home, good parents. Don't have to worry about being in the streets. And we still end up in the streets. We still end up in prison. We really can't tell. But it shows me that we need to be appreciative of what we have. And that we have to unravel that yarn that we're handed. A tangled yarn. Some more tangled than others. Because some of us are introduced to life. Little by little. And some of us have no choice because of our situation to be thrown into the game without knowing the rules. And when you don't know the rules, you're dumbfounded. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm saying you're dumbfounded where you're, you're taken aback. What's going on here? I got to process this. This doesn't seem right. But you have no gauge. Those of us who weren't afforded someone to guide us or mentor us, even if we didn't have parents, somebody to take us under their wing. And this is why it's very important to do so.
to take somebody under your wing, even if you don't do it all the way. Look to always drop a nugget of knowledge and truth and wisdom to somebody's life when they're receptive to it because they may walk with that one truth for many years, but hold on to it. And when they finally realize and utilize it, they say, wow, that man, I don't know where he is now, but I never forget the words that he told me. And those words of wisdom really saved me from a bad situation. And so this is why we have to have compassion on those we don't know. No, you don't let them walk over you. You don't let them disrespect you. Because if you do, you're helping to perpetuate their ignorance of what they should do in this life. See, it works both ways. You don't tolerate that stuff. Sometimes you have to pick your battles and know when to speak. But you have to have a little compassion because we don't know what they didn't have. We don't know if they were going to school every day, but they were molested by a stepfather. Or they went to school every day and they don't know what breakfast is. And they don't pay attention in school and they get misdiagnosed when they go to the counselor and given drugs at a young age, which starts the process of them never really getting it together. You know this system that we live in? I don't care where we are in the world, but especially America. It's a very cold system. It's a rubber stamp system. It's a system where, okay, this is what it looks like. Okay, that's what it is. Give them some Ritalin. It may be where the poor child is eating too much sugar. And they're all over the place. Maybe the parents didn't know. Maybe the mothers didn't know. Single mother. Who knows? The emotional issues, the mental issues, the physical issues, the swirl of all of it. There's so much that we have to learn when we enter this into this thing called life that we are really lucky. I mean, I don't believe in luck. I'm just saying it as a figure of speech. But we are really lucky if we can, before we leave this plane of existence, have it all figured out from within. Listen. You're never going to figure out everybody you've ever encountered, why they act the way they act towards you. But the challenge is figuring it out for yourself from within. Because in some degree, where I don't feel I was thrown into the game of life without knowing the rules, but there will be certain parts and segments of your life where you are thrown into the game without knowing the rules. Why? Because your mentors, your parents, your community, those who raised you, they don't know all you're going to go through. You see what I mean? It's, it's too bad. And I see a comment that I, I'm on you today, Raw Reality. <laughs> so it popped up. And it's so true. The problem is that much of the elders have become selfish and corrupt. How am I going to plant the seeds and hope to have a beautiful garden when I go out there with construction boots, walking around and stomping stuff down? You've got to cultivate that garden. And like I always say, we want the pleasure of producing the garden, but we don't want the responsibility of raising it. We want the pleasure of sex, but we don't want the responsibility of raising a child. 
And it's sad because many of us who do go through the process of procreation are not even equipped to raise a child. So I wish there was a way I could redo creation. <laughs> I'm not knocking the creator. But to me, pain and pleasure are two of the most highly motivational places to be. I say places to be. I can say emotion. I can say stimuli. We want to run away from the pain, but we want to run to the pleasure. We want to run away from having to hit that alarm clock in the morning time when we feel we didn't get enough sleep but we have to go to work and we realize, oh, God, it's Monday morning. Or whatever your Monday morning is. It could be Thursday. It could be work weekends. You know, I don't know. But whatever that day is that you don't want to go in the first day back when you go to work. We don't want to deal with that. But we want the pleasure of laying in the bed with our mate extra hours until we wake up after a glorious night of making love. We want that. But we don't want the pain. And so that being said, many of us, all we do is focus on the pleasure and the escape from the internal pain that never goes away until we face it. We have to face the things that were done to us. Yes, unfairly. Yes, it's unfortunate that some of our parents treated us a certain way. Some of our siblings treated us a certain way. A next-door neighbor put his hand on us the wrong way, and now it has painted and flavored our, our view of the world in a bad way. And some of us never come out of that because we want to run away from the pain, hence self-medicating. And so we, now we found ourselves to be alcoholics. There's a reason why you are numbing yourself. And some of us who get into the numbing of ourselves realize what a lucrative hustle it could be without even trying to come out of it. Because now we can paint ourselves as a victim. I'm not saying this is all alcoholics or those who use drugs. But some of us can find ourselves in that place where we don't want to get out because the pity we receive is too sweet. So we can cry about the pain, but we really want the escape and we want to stay there forever. Keep on shooting the heroin into our veins forever until we OD. Keep on drinking until we damage our liver. And you know once you damage your liver, there's no going back. It's not going to regenerate. Whatever it is, sex addiction, screwing up your mind, bombarding yourself with the imagery of pornography. There's so many ways to self-medicate. Some of us are workaholics. And we self-medicate that way by trying to find value in ourselves where maybe we don't feel the value in ourselves. And we overwork because now we can justify and say, oh, I worked, I was up all night, I, I did this, I, I didn't do anything. For, I never took a vacation in 10 years because I've been working, 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 working. Work. What are you running away from? For me, to come to this place of finding peace, more peace than I ever had in my life, and to not have to concern myself by always being on the lookout, being up at night because it's going to happen. They're going to come in the house. They're going to be standing over me. 
I still struggle with that to a point, but it's greatly diminished. And I'm the freest that I ever felt in those respects. And if you don't face it because you were thrown into the game without knowing the rules, ignorance of the rules and ignorance of the law is no excuse. Because it's us who have to heal ourselves. There will be others who have sympathy and want to aid in our healing. But they have to see us going through the processes of self-care and healing ourselves. Because if we don't, realistically, others who love us will hurt. Say, oh, man, it hurts to see you this way. But nobody's going to hurt like you when you refuse to do what you need to do for the emotional, spiritual, mental, and sometimes physical house cleaning. And I find those individuals who have survived not knowing the rules and symbolically came up the hard way. When they succeed, after so many challenges and so many setbacks, and they finally succeed to come to a place of peace in their life, those are the ones who have the most wisdom and are rock solid and who are so intuitive of human nature and those around them. I don't want to say that, you know, I tool around in a lot of things to study a lot of different things. I just don't stay in this one lane. Many know that when you have a conversation with me, I'm all over the place. It's things I get very excited about. And I, for the longest time, but, you know, pretty much recently more so, I've been looking into this thing called cortisol, and that's the stress hormone. And when you're stressed, you have a lot more cortisol. But I didn't know how it operates. You see, while we worry about our Kelly and Pete Diddy and, and Kim Kardashian and Cardi, Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and Sexy Red or whatever she calls herself, the latest public thought who's around for a year before she's discarded and the next one comes in that sick music industry. There are things that we need to know because after a certain time, there are rules to this universe. And there are things we need to know to know how to navigate the world to make it a smoother movement through. Like I like to say, to cut through life, to cut through the butter of, of life like a hot knife, like a hot knife through butter. You know, you take butter out the fridge, if you have it in the fridge, and it's, it's hard, and you have this cold knife, and it's a little resistance. Heat that knife up and watch it just pass on through. Knowledge and wisdom will help to keep your blade sharp so you don't get duped in the things in this world to take you down. So in studying cortisol, the stress hormone, I didn't know that when you have stress, high levels of stress, let's just say, let's just say you have it. I'm not saying you do or throwing off on you. Let's just make a point. That when you have this high level of cortisol in your body, because your circumstances, whatever it may be to make you stressed, have you that way. Just bear with me for a second. Allow me to take a sip of this beautiful glass of water. <laughs> Mm. 
Yes. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Don't make me wait. Uh, I'm crazy. You know, songs just pop into my head like that. But anyway, say, for example, you have a mate, whatever you want to call it, husband, wife, lover, somebody you're around and involved with intimately on different intimate levels. Intimacy just doesn't mean the sexual act. Because a man can go out there and pay a prostitute for her services for 20 minutes and have what looks to be intimacy and you don't even know nothing about them. They're not intimate. You might have a close friend who you're not having sex with, but you're intimate as far as how you open up about your life and the frailties and the insecurities and they help you. That's intimacy, true intimacy. Throw a little sex in there, it might make it better. Sometimes it makes it worse, but that should not be the goal. Well, they recently found out that when someone is in your midst and very stressed, hence the high levels of cortisol, that cortisol is basically contagious. It can transfer in the sweat. And even if you don't touch the person, say, for example, you're working in a small office in a job, and one or two people, let's just say in that small office is about 20 people, because I know some offices that have hundreds of people on different floors, depending on the size of the company. But say something enough where everybody knows everybody. And two people are there stressed, but they're not saying anything. Don't you know, without them knowing it and without you knowing it, your cortisol levels will rise up also. It may not rise to the level or the levels that they have. But because they're stressed, you're stressed more. So you take a CEO of a company who is pretty much good at what he does, but he's stressed. Well, the whole company is going to go up a little bit. I'm not going to see you. You're going to be running around. Oh, I'm suicidal now because we have a new CEO and he's stressed, so I'm just pulling my hair out. No, it doesn't mean that. But I don't know how to measure it, but say, say he's 85% stressed. And you're all right. You know, you have a little stress when you say, hey, wait a second, you shorted me a couple dollars on my check or I need a couple extra days to pay this bill or whatever it may be, the normal levels of stress with a little sprinkling of more but something you can handle. Well, that CEO of the company that's sending all these memos down about how you have to run the company, how you have, that may not stress you. But his presence in that organization may rise your cortisol levels up 2 or 3%, if you can say it that way. If it's low, it brings it up and you don't feel it. But if you're on the edge... All I'm saying is that the atmosphere and the people that you have around you on a regular basis will cause you to feel what they feel. The same thing works when you're around a person of a light spirit who, while they may not be stress-free, they may have ways of coping with the stresses that come their way, and so they maintain keeping their filters clean. You see, we have people in our midst that 
they may have a higher level of cortisol and they may be stressed and they may be off. Let's not even talk about the cortisol levels. Let's just talk about madness, confusion, chaos, drama. Even if a person smiles with you and at you and acts as though they're your friend, but they have these things inside of them. It could be either way where they're not trying to bring you the stuff, but they have it in them. Or covertly, they have it in them and they plan to introduce confusion into your life. Trust me, you're going to feel it. And one of the best things that you can do is remove these confused spirits out of your midst in whatever you do because this stuff is contagious because we are social creatures, we're social beings. We can isolate to a point. But instead of being up under something and isolating, get away from it. Keep it away from you. Keep your stress over there if you plan to not maintain it where you're maintaining peace. I don't mean maintain stress, but maintain your peace and your balance. Work on it. Don't get around people and want to throw off on them because you don't like them. You think this one is getting at somebody else. And, you know, it's like office politics. You ever work in an office or in a job where people are on top of each other? And it's going to happen because when you're around people, somebody you're going to talk to a little more, somebody you're going to be close to. Might be two dudes who are buddies. Okay, we're hanging out. Nothing weird. But it might be a man and a woman who gravitate toward each other and they begin to like each other and get to know each other. But because of the job policy, we don't allow employees to fraternize with each other or see each other. That's one of the dumbest rules (laughs) because human nature, you ain't going to stop it. You ain't going to stop it. You ain't going to stop the water from boiling over the pot and going all over the stove and all over to the floor if you don't watch that pot and watch the boiling water. Why? It's crazy. So you begin to have this relationship, and it's nothing weird. You get intimate on many levels. You're seeing each other. You're with each other. And the whole office can sense it. But also, that whole office can be off and wrong thinking that you two are seeing each other and they're whispering about you because of the state of their own mind, because of how they operate. You see, all I'm saying is that you cannot navigate this world without being affected by those around you. This whole cortisol thing blew my mind. So even if, imagine, You don't have to know the person's circumstances. This goes beyond perception. If you're on public transportation and you're on a train or you're on a a train that that you can go to the next car with less people, stay away, go. If you're on a bus, a crowded bus, and there's one behind it that's not as full, get on that one. Because you can't help but absorb the cortisol levels of those around you. So when you have a big city with millions of people in it, 
and you can't help but be jammed up with all of these other people, is it a wonder why so many people are stressed? Oh, I couldn't wait to get out of New York City. I'm down here in the country now, and I feel so good. You can try to meditate and put your headphones on and you know, take your morning walks and do your exercise because exercise is a very good way to reduce your cortisol levels. It's good. You see, but it affects your physiological responses because in that aspect you were thrown into the game without knowing the rules. Who talks about stuff like this? We didn't know this stuff back in the day, but those of us who were spiritually in tune and had discerning spirits moved and navigated in the spirit where you don't have to know all of these scientific facts. But when you're tuned into a higher vibration and clear communication dictating your moves and you're receptive to it, you don't get arrogant. I want to do this. I ain't going to listen to that voice. See, so you don't have to go out and research everything. Yes, it's nice to know, to be able to explain to other people how certain things work. But you never go wrong when you work from within the spirit and you listen to that voice that's inside of you. We're looking for God everywhere else instead of looking on the inside. And that's a problem. See? That's our problem, and we feel it. And the more we self-medicate and detach ourselves away from our own abilities to discern, it's like painting the windshield on your car black and telling you to drive. You're going to wrap yourself around a pole, you're going to knock somebody over, or you might have a head-on collision. And oftentimes it's us who can't get out of the way of ourselves. And we blame the world for what's in our head. Isn't that something? So we have to be first accountable. And also accept that the possibility of our confusion might be us. But our egos don't let us do that. How does it? They ain't never me. They they, they the one who did. No, no, you, you may have a role into it too. It may not be one or the other. Maybe both of y'all. So you have to self-reflect, you have to look within, and you have to be ready to be accountable for many of the things that happen in our life. And even if it's not our fault, let us learn how to navigate and stay away from situations that bring this confusion in our life. Because even if we were thrown into the game without knowing the rules, we are given a time to have that intuition to understand what's going on around us. And instead of throwing ourselves into the confusion, figuring that if we just fight the confusion, <laughs> that makes it worse. You see a fire. You say, I want to put that fire out. Grab that liquid right there and let's put it on the fire. You think it's water, but it's actually gasoline. And you make the fire worse. So knowing that, manage your stress levels. And there's so many other little things that I learned with that, that oftentimes, male or female, we have that little bit of fat around our midsection. And even eating less and exercising just can't seem to get away. Well, that's the effect of stress and cortisol. Because when you see somebody with this gut 
and around the back and just, they are very stressed, no matter what they tell you or how they try to act. And when you see them self-medicate, it's even worse. And when they see you in peace and contentment because you earn lots of times that they're not the kind of person to want to self-reflect and clean their own garbage out in their house, they want to throw off on you. So even still, it's sad, but I come from a time on the wrap-up where the peace that you had, people who may have been a little troubled would gravitate towards you to see how it is that you maintain such peace. Now, when you have the peace and you have the light, you're despised for it. On the surface, they try to copy, but they can't keep up because it's not authentic. It's like a person who has a lot of bills and has to maintain working for many, many years and you're retired and you have no debt. They can't move like you. And that was a monetary uh, comparison. But anything we see in the physical, there's a spiritual lesson also. Just like I've seen lessons in nature that are lessons in the spirit world. If we don't acknowledge that those other realms, we'll never get it. Those who think that the world around us is just what we see, you'll never get it to get to the next level. Anyway, I want to say, may you enjoy, if you have family around you on this day, enjoy this day. It has nothing to do with that holiday that they're celebrating in America. How do you come to a place that's already inhabited and say you discovered something. That's the sickness of that type of mind in this system that we're under. We might be under it, but it doesn't have to affect us. They know they have so much coming to them for all the hell that they've raised all over the earth, wherever they've gone, that they want to put their stress on you. Stay away from them in that mindset because their wrath is not your wrath. What they have coming to, you, to them, unless now you love them so much that you can't let them go, then you're going to have to suffer with them. But stay away from them at all costs. And anyone who disrupts the peace that you've worked so hard to attain in your life. I want to talk about some of these findings that I've discovered over the last few years and some recently. Because it's making my blade even sharper. And there's some things I've done instinctively through the spirit that are in tandem with what I learned. I said, oh, I was always doing this. This is why. And like I said earlier, it's sad that most of us don't really get it in this life at all. Most will get it, how to move in this life toward the end of our life on this plane. And the earlier we can understand how things work and how to navigate, the better of a life we'll have. Whether we have millions or not, your youth will be preserved. You will not be affected by what's around you because you know how to dodge it, how to not let it touch you, how to not let someone else's cortisol levels affect you. You know how you have the synchronized periods in women who are all around them, each other, the college dorm or the job, 
You're around each other enough. Your periods will become synchronized. That is amazing to me. That shows you how you don't have to be on somebody or just be around them. You'll average out with them on many levels. So this is why it's necessary for you to remove yourself on a regular basis. You want to build a home? Don't build it in the middle of a huge building of, or buy a condo. I'm buying a condo. There's about 50 other units here. Well, guess what? Those 50 other units are going to affect you. I'm not saying leave the country and go up in the mountains. That for some may be extreme because we have family and special needs situations. We have to be close. But look at all angles and try to make it where your life is steadily improving instead of being caught up in the lust of materialism and wanting to be around and wanting to see everything and I live near this nightclub and I live near this and all. And 10 years from now, you realize that was nothing important and did nothing for you but to aid you and stress you and to break you down. Illness and sickness will hit us when we're broken down from the inside. And pretty much I'll say and repeat this before I go on a little fact I learned that we really do need eight at eight Hours, eight hours and 15 minutes of sleep. You can get by, but there are reasons for that. And I'll talk about that another time. I'll throw that out there. I'll, I'll talk about that another time in the next show later on. There's certain processes that must happen. We're not saying just laying down wide awake. That don't count. Sleep. But in our modern day society, because of all that's around us, we're not even allowed to do that. The cleansing of the brain takes seven hours. And we're sleeping for four and five. So there are toxic things in our head physically. You don't get sleep on a regular basis. You begin to get blurred in your thinking, and that's why. Imagine not taking the garbage out of your house for a couple weeks. What would it smell like? I don't care if you scrub the floor, scrub the walls, clean the toilet, but don't touch the garbage. The garbage is going to stink your home up. And you won't be able to function right. Yesterday, I made the mention about the communication of the insects. The things we don't see, we just, oh, it's just a crawling around bug. No, that thing is complex. We can learn from observing them and learning about them. How we react. I know some people with some phenomenal powers. And all they had to do was submit and observe nature. And they're so wise without ever stepping into a schoolhouse or a university. This is life. It's mysterious. But when you open your eyes, it's all out in front of you. Anyway, it's been so nice to be here with you. It's been so nice to vibe with you. I will be back later on. Last night I almost didn't make it because I fell asleep on the bed and woke up. I was like, ah, I committed to doing this show to do it so we have enough time today and I don't have as much to do otherwise I know I'll be on it I'll just go out in the sun and await my next download and come and share it with you thank you so much thank you for liking and sharing and your donations appreciated whether you can or not I just appreciate your presence also in being here thank you so much don't eat too much Enjoy your family, and sometimes you may have to stay away from some family.
because family could be the most prostituted word in the English language. That's an article I wrote on landscare.com. You'll find it. I might find it and put it up. So be safe until next time. Landscare loves you. And I enjoy this time. I really enjoy my time here with you and really hate to go when it comes to be this part of the show. But I have to go for now. So long. Peace.